Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Well, you're in a study on this epistle of James, and our uh, text tonight takes us to James chapter 3. So if you'd have your Bibles back open with me at that passage, James chapter 3, we're going to look at those verses at the end, verses 13 to 18, only five verses, and yet what incredible words of wisdom and liberating truth from Almighty God through his servant James. As you will have been studying, you perhaps know that the letter of James is sometimes called by some the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it's packed full of insights for Christians about perseverance in their faith, controlling our tongues, submitting to the will of God, having patience, uh, aiding disciples of Jesus to live authentically and wisely for Christ. And in our text, James writes about wisdom. The Bible, of course, is full of wisdom. We heard about that in our Old Testament reading. I want you uh, to have those words before you. It is the word of God written, the word of wisdom, which we hold in our hands. And in fact, some of the books of the Bible are actually called wisdom literature. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. And then there are people in the Bible who are are known as people of great wisdom. Think in the Old Testament, the best example is perhaps a man called Solomon, who prayed at the beginning of his reign as king of Israel. And God said to him, and I quote from 1 Kings 3, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. Solomon wisely asked for wisdom, and God gave it. But here's something I want you to notice about Solomon. He had 300 mistresses and 700 wives. Yes, he had wisdom, such great wisdom for everybody but himself. And God's people, the Jews, have always put a tremendous emphasis on wisdom. Every synagogue, even today, hopes to have a rabbi who is wise and understanding. And most people will only go to someone with a problem if they feel they will understand and receive wisdom. In fact, those two things go together, understanding and wisdom. In fact, the Spirit of God is a spirit of understanding and wisdom. In Deuteronomy and in Proverbs, those two things, understanding and wisdom, are mentioned together. Whoever is wise and understanding. Deuteronomy chapter 4, keep them to do them, for that they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. So let's consider wisdom this afternoon. What is meant by that word wise. And we'll go to our text here in James chapter 3 to find the answer. Because there are two kinds of wisdom 
that we will discover. One is worldly wisdom and the other is heavenly wisdom. It was wise men who came to find Jesus as an infant and wise men still seek him. So we discover that it is wise men, wise women who demonstrate wisdom in their lives. And in these final verses from James chapter 3, the five final verses of this chapter, we discover the contrast between human wisdom and heavenly wisdom. We could call it true wisdom and false wisdom. The word true and the word real are the same word in both Hebrew and Greek. Truth and reality are the same word. Jesus uh, expounded this. The truth will set you free. He was saying a real understanding of the real situation, a truthful understanding of yourself and of God will set you free. We find that in the Bible. What else do we discover? We discover that God is holy and we are sinful. That is the truth. Knowing it and doing something about it is liberating, true and real are the same words in the languages of the Bible. And here in the text, James contrasts human wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And I want us to look at the contrast between these two kinds of wisdom, at the origin of them, where they come from, at the way they operate, and finally the outcome of following these two types or kinds of wisdom. Let's look first of all at false wisdom or human wisdom. And go with me in our text, if you would, to verse 16, because James begins with human wisdom, and he looks at the motivation for this false wisdom. Verse 16, he speaks of jealousy. He says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Notice those two motivations. Do you see them there? Jealousy or envy and selfish ambition. These are two seriously wrong motivations that can spoil uh, can spoil wisdom. One is a wrong attitude to other people and one is a wrong attitude to themselves. If wisdom involves uh, in pulling others down and pushing yourself up, then it will always, always be misleading. It will lead to the contempt for others and pride and arrogance in oneself. Notice those two words, jealousy and selfish ambition. So here is James, always so very practical, saying the first thing to look at is the motivation. What is driving someone to be wise in worldly wisdom? Is it that they are envious and jealous of other people? Is it that they are proud and pushing themselves up? Why are they wise? Why are they offering that wisdom to other people? And that is the first thing that is said about false wisdom. It will be pulling others down and pushing ourselves up. And any trace of that, any trace, means that that is worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom. Here, then, is an important consideration. In most of our hands or on our desks or uh, in our grip through a handheld mobile phone or computer or tablet, we have 
unending access to an incredible wealth of resources on the internet. Where once we might have, if we were fortunate, as I was growing up, to have in our homes an encyclopedia, like the 32-volume printed set of the Encyclopedia Britannica, we now have all that and so much more information available to us. But the question is, where is the source of most of that information? Where does it come from? I suggest that the world's wisdom is the accumulated wisdom of the ages. It is passed on from parent to child. It is coming out of this world, and therefore it is coming from below. That's the description James uses. Do you see it there? James, most likely the brother of our Lord, describes this type of wisdom, and this is chilling. Look in verse 15. He describes it as unspiritual and demonic. And if we are not careful, it is in those places that we gain our wisdom passed on to us so often in schools and universities, and it's often mistaken for knowledge. The knowledge of law, the knowledge of science, the knowledge of medicine, the knowledge of economics, the knowledge of politics may be accurate and good, but such knowledge should never, ever be confused with wisdom from Christ. The world's wisdom accumulated through the ages might empower us to identify ourselves as a certain type of Christian. But when we rightly relate to the Bible, we give the Bible precedent to determine and interpret the details of our lives, not the other way around. Remember those two sources of worldly wisdom there. Verse 15, unspiritual, demonic. That's the world's wisdom. The world's knowledge should never be confused with wisdom from Christ. The second source of earthly wisdom that I want to uh, share with you this evening is of ourselves, of our flesh, our own common sense, our own thinking, our own ideas, our own experiences and desires. We are all so very wise in our own eyes. Fascinating that we should think of ourselves as so wise because the the Bible refers to our flesh as fallen nature. Did you notice in our, in our confession this evening, those wonderful words are retained in this new edition of the uh, 1662 Book of Common Prayer. We are miserable offenders, and let's never forget it. Self-wisdom, wisdom in our own eyes, will always be a faulty sort of wisdom. In the Anglican Church over the past weeks, There has been considerable discussion on blogs about Christian identity. Some so-called wise Christians determined that it's appropriate to add descriptors to our identity, to describe our following Christ in terms of our skin color, our race, our sexual orientation. Some have asserted that the way in which we seek wisdom to determine these matters should come from how we feel. How, how we feel about these things, what makes us comfortable. And yet, when we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Bible, we discover that the identity of those who follow Christ is not to be found in who we are, but in who he is. Do you see the difference between the two wisdoms? 
The Bible is not a book that has a foundation in how to feel, how you feel and what makes you happy. The Bible is not a book to make you clever, rich or famous. If you want those things, you need the wisdom of the world and you'll get plenty of that wisdom here. Plenty of it. If you are driven by self-identity and selfish ambition. So firstly, the world's wisdom is the accumulated wisdom of the ages. Secondly, the world's wisdom makes us wise in our own eyes. Thirdly, the most dangerous source of worldly wisdom comes from the devil. After all, he is the, what, the God and ruler of this world. He is the prince of this world. Never, ever underestimate the devil and his authority in this world. Consider 1 John chapter 5. Listen, we read there, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Or what of Paul writing to uh, the Corinthians in his second letter, chapter 4? The God of this world, what's, what's he done? He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Or even from our Lord on his last night in John's Gospel, chapter 14. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. The devil's sway in this world is terrible, and it's vast. The devil's worldly wisdom is a dangerous source, and it's, 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 it's not one to encourage. Well, let's return to our text in James chapter 3, verse 15. Let's have a look. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is, notice, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Hmm. What are we learning here? We're learning from the word of God that worldly wisdom does not come from God, as attractive as it may be from time to time. It comes from the world. It's earthly. It's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. It comes from the world, the flesh, or the devil, or all three, and therefore it is suspect. For these are the three very things that Christians have renounced. Where have we renounced them? We've renounced them at our baptism. Consider the question asked by the minister in the liturgy of baptism. Dost thou, in the name of this child, renounce the devil and all his works, the vain pomp and glory of this world, and the covetous desires of the same, and the carnal desires of the flesh, so that thou wilt not follow, nor be led by them? And the candidate, or the parents, and the godparents answer, I renounce them all, the world, the flesh, the devil. Are you cutting yourself off from those three sources of worldly wisdom? Because they are not the three things that Jesus, because they are, sorry, the three things that Jesus came to redeem us from, to rescue us from, the world, the flesh, the devil. And James says, look with me, look, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. What is the result of such wisdom? What is the outcome of worldly wisdom? What happens when you follow such wisdom which is false and will ultimately lead you further and further away from Christ? Two things in particular. 
the world's wisdom will lead you into disruption and disorder. We see that here. And it will divide people. It will bring confusion among them. It will even bring chaos among them. Look back at our text. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, here it is, disorder and every vile practice. Notice, secondly, that when you are consumed by self and you lose your moral grip and, ev and, and every kind of debauchery will come and every kind of depravity, it's inevitable. It's the inevitable result of getting your wisdom from the world, from the wrong place, from the wrong source, because sooner or later it will lead to a disruption of your mind and a depravity in your behavior. We see that in the world today in so many ways. We see it in our own nation so clearly. Grasping worldly wisdom, so comes a disruption in our minds and depravity in our behavior. Worldly wisdom, though, can sound so very convincing and persuasive, but it is coming from the wrong source. Thank God that the Apostle James has told us where it's coming from and how to be careful about the advice you receive. I cannot underscore this enough. So verse 14, let's go to the word of God. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false about the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Well, let's now turn to true wisdom. Not the wisdom from the world, but uh, not the wisdom from the flesh, not the wisdom from the devil, but wisdom from above. Almighty God himself is described in the Bible as what? The only wise God. Listen to Paul writing to Rome, the Christians in Rome, chapter 16, right at the very end of his letter. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. And when Paul calls him the only wise God, he does not mean that there are many gods, uh, many gods around and that all but one are foolish. He says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The God whom we serve is not just the only wise God. He is the only God, period. That's it. Done. The one and only God is wise, gloriously wise, infinitely wise. And we know, too, from Scripture that the wisdom of God is so very deep. It's so deep that his judgments are unsearchable. It's so deep that his ways are inscrutable. It's so deep that no one has ever been or ever could be his counselor. In fact, the wisdom of God is so deep, so expansive, that he does not and cannot increase in his wisdom. To increase in, the, in wisdom, something would have to go into God's mind that has not already come out of God's mind. Think of Paul writing in those wonderful chapters on the Jewish people, Romans 9 through 11, this time chapter 11, verse 36. He says, from him and through him and to him are all things. And if all things are from him, there is no wisdom in the universe that is not already his. God is infinite in wisdom. 
His wisdom cannot be increased because, not because he has no limits, but because every considerable increase is already his. Look at how James describes the wisdom that comes from God. Go back with me to our text, this time verse 17. The wisdom from above is first of all, says James, what? Pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so the thing about this wisdom, that it is true, but it is also pure. There are no hidden motives, no cards held close to the chest inside the jacket. Everything is above board. There is no mixture of good and bad. God's wisdom is pure. And everything else follows that. Look, look with me once again in the text. His wisdom is pure. The second thing is it's peaceable. No shouting, no raised voices, no raised fist, no raised temperature. It's simply wisdom. It is wise. God's wisdom is not aggressive. It's not forced on you. God does not bully you into accepting his wisdom. It's peaceable. God's wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. Thirdly, God's wisdom, his heavenly wisdom, is gentle. It considers other people's feelings and thoughts and character and background and interest. Heavenly wisdom is, what, what could we say? A good listener. It listens. It does not just speak. It considers carefully. You can invade other people's privacy and personality with thoughtless wisdom, but heavenly wisdom will never be thoughtless. It's gentle. All his ways a peace. That's what we read in our Old Testament scripture. God's wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. Look at the fourth characteristic, writes James. It's open to reason. What do we mean by that? We mean it's not stubborn. It's not obstinate. It is submissive. God's wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. Next, look, it's merciful. Not only merciful, Full of mercy. Mercy is needed when there is opposition. It is the opposite of being judgmental. So let's paint this picture that James shares with us. God's wisdom is pure. It is peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. Do you notice how wisdom from above will always point you to Christ? Because fruit bearing is what? It's it's about life in the spirit. It's about him. It's about Christ. Wisdom from above will always point us to Christ, to his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Verse 17, look, look with me. It's impartial. It's objective. Heavenly wisdom has no self-interest in it. It's impartial, objective. It's standing back from a situation and seeing it in a true perspective, and therefore it doesn't need to be biased. Heavenly wisdom from above is never biased, never prejudiced. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial. It's also sincere. And we are back to where we started. 
Do you see? It's pure. It's sincere. It's pure. No guile. No hidden motives. Wisdom is never hypocritical. It's utterly sincere through and through, completely. Can you think with me? The two examples in Scripture of heavenly wisdom and people in the Bible. And Solomon is not one of them because he never listened to his own advice. He applied it to everybody but himself. Who then are the wisest people in the Old Testament and the New Testament? I suggest the wisest man in the Old Testament is Moses. In fact, James makes reference to him back in verse 13. Indirectly, look, who is wise and understanding by you? What does he say, verse 13? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. Numbers chapter 12 describes as the meekest man on earth, God's servant Moses. He is the only person in the Old Testament that's described this way. We tend to think of of meekness as mousy and quiet, lacking in opinions, no backbone. But in his discourse on meekness, Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, describes meekness as a kind of self-control. True biblical meekness is a self-control of strength that makes us lambs, in our own causes and lions for the cause of Christ. Just as it did Moses, meekness compels us to act when God and his word are dishonored and to be humble before him, putting the interests of God's people above our own. Look back at the beginning of our passage. Do you see in the text? Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The wisest man in the New Testament is Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 that Jesus became to us wisdom from God. How did Jesus become to us wisdom from God? Well, that is the main truth of the gospel message. God is infinite in wisdom. God is infinitely wise in the way he saves sinners, namely through the, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And God chose the way of salvation to, uh, through Christ because it was the perfect way to achieve the greatest goal, the humility of man and the glory of God. The incarnation is a peasant born in a manger at Christmas time. What a story, that, that very short three-year ministry of word and deed. The scandalous execution as a criminal. The resurrection just three days after. To leave behind an imperfect band of disciples. This, God says, is infinite wisdom. Jesus was and is and always will be the perfect way to accomplish God's greater goal. That's why Christ became to us wisdom from God. And what is the outcome? Of this heavenly wisdom? Well, James uses an image taken from agriculture. It's a profoundly divine principle. Look with me, verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly wisdom is sown in peace. Then it will be harvested in righteousness. And James has used this picture of sowing and reaping because there is a lot of time between the two. 
Think of it. A farmer knows in the knowledge that one day he'll be reaping in that field in which he has sown the results of his sowing. In the same way, heavenly wisdom does not always produce the results we hope for immediately. It takes time. Sowing in peace, not in anxiety. Not rush, but sowing in peace and harvested in righteousness. And that means quite simply that a heavenly wisdom, Jesus Christ himself, produces a holy people, a harvest of righteousness. Right back at the very start of this letter from James. Do you remember as you studied this this epistle? In the first chapter, he writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. And what is it? What is this wisdom that we are asking for? Remember, it's wisdom that is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And as we ask for those things, we're asking for Christ. And as we do, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make for peace, who make peace. Let's pray. O God, by whom the meek are guided in judgment and light rises up in darkness for the godly, grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us do. The spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, that in your light we may see light, and in your straight path we may not stumble through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.